Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You are welcome. Oh, it's a joyful day, isn't it? It is. It's a happy end of May. It's almost Memorial Day. Oh, my the, kid's out of school. Are you kids? Oh, uh, are they no. out yet? Close? Our kids are. Our kids are still in school. Uh, close another, though. We're another close. couple weeks. Another, right. Very, very close. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes. But the NBA playoffs are happening. The Stanley Cup playoffs are happening. Every time Calgary and Edmonton play, there's like 11 <laughs> goals in the first period. Just exciting. That's awesome. It's an exciting time. We've got that. We've got the crazy baseball going on. And mostly the USFL. I mean, really, if you think about it. <laughs> that's what everyone's talking about. I can't believe that's still happening like that's the way that I found out that was happening was I turned on my TV and was looking to see where the Golden State right uh, <laughs> uh, playoff game was and then I saw a listing for USFL football and thought well that can't be right <laughs> you that, thought that's this is, it's a historic game you thought yeah, it was like, it a, like, a, it's like a, a classic the New Jersey Generals <laughs> or whatever they were called they're playing the the Dallas whatevers and that but then that's literally how I learned that it's a thing. I didn't know. I missed it somehow. I did not. I was not aware that the USFL was back. It, it's not been a huge deal, but I mean, it's you know, it's it's gone okay. I actually am good friends with with uh, somebody at, at Fox who is involved in the thing, and they have very low um, expectations for it. They're just trying kind of trying to Smart. build it up. I'm 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 kind of for. I want there to be a a baseball USFL. I I don't. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I kind of want. Because I think we've talked about this. There, when you look at baseball, it is the one sport over the last, let's say since 1960, you can go even further back than that, but let's say since 1960, that has not had a competing league uh, yeah. come along, right? No yeah. USFL, no ABA, no AFL, none of that. And those things like the ABA, even the USFL, certainly the AFL, they brought all sorts of cool new things into the sport, right? Like yeah. the dunk contest, the three-point line, and all this. And baseball's had none of that. The closest thing baseball's had to that was it was not a competing league, but it was the Negro Leagues. Right. And think what the Negro Leagues contributed to. Among, to. among other things, catcher's mitts. Right. Lights at night. <laughs> lights came at from night. from the Negro Leagues. Yes. There's uh, a guy in the Baseball Hall of Fame for uh, basically – for creating the night game five years after it was in the Negro Leagues. You yes, know? Yeah. yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I mean, what else? There, uh, batting helmets, I batting believe, helmets. came from the Negro well, Leagues. And then, and then just the style of play, the running, you know, having power and speed, uh, those kinds of players. I mean, Clemente and, and Mays and Aaron, there just weren't those kinds of players before them in the yeah. major leagues. There were in the Negro Leagues. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and 
pitchers like Gibson. I mean, the, it truly changed baseball when, for, for many, many reasons, including the justice uh, reasons, it changed baseball. I want another league to come along, one that, you know, like sort of like I'm kind of into this little, into the Savannah Bananas. Savannah thing. Bananas. I was yeah. about to say, that's that's the closest we have is the Savannah Bananas. And I don't know that we're going to introduce uh, the concept of hitters playing on stilts anytime soon. <laughs> but it would actually surprise me if the, if innovations from crazy places like the Savannah Bananas didn't yeah. in some way, shape, or form eventually leak in. Because I think that's right. I, I, they're, just, they're, they're, go, they're doing so much goofy experimenting just for fun yes. that, that someone, someone smart, Theo Epstein or someone who works for Theo Epstein is going to go, you know, that's actually not a crazy idea. Yeah, we should think right. about this. And, we could just and, turn it a little bit. We could just do yeah. it. I mean, like, like obviously, the great thing about the Savannah Bananas, and by the way, there's a piece coming up by the time uh, that this is out. We are recording this on Monday. I think it's tonight, actually, that uh, there's going to be a piece on Real Sports about it. There's a book coming out about the Savannah Bananas. So there's a bunch of stuff coming out about them. If, you, if you're unaware, there is stuff online you can also see. But... Like some of the stuff they do, the, the thing that they have is there no inhibitions, none. Right. So right. So like they'll literally have the players dance in the middle of innings and all that stuff. But they do cool stuff like if a fan catches a foul ball, the batter's out. Yeah. And and I, I'm telling you, I realize you can't really bring that to the game, but what a home field advantage that would be. I mean, if you yeah. think about how awesome that would be everyone would bring their gloves to the game right and you would always drop the ball uh if your team hit did it you would never catch that ball but somebody from the other team might you know some fan from the other team might be there they might like come in and catch the ball and 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 get the whole guy out and then of course everybody would like then stone that person but it, but still <laughs> it's it's so fun, and they think about it in such a fun way. The thing that I um, was focused on recently in this regard was they have a rule, I believe, where if you walk, the defense has to throw the ball around the infield, and every player has to touch the ball, but before it's like the before it's basically like there there is like a timeout essentially, yes. which means yes. that the hitter walks and drops his bat and sprints to first as if he hit a double because if right. he can make it to second before every player on the defense touches the ball then he can get to second right so um so what happens is a walk becomes the most exciting play in the game <laughs> because the catcher takes ball four fires yes. it, and they have a they have like a choreographed um, thing they've worked out where they have the, to, right. the outfielders collapse around second base <laughs> He fires it to maybe to third, who throws right. it to short, who throw, who flips it to second, who flips it to the right fielder, the, the uh, left fielder, center really fielder, big, back to yeah. the first baseman runs and covers second. And and then the guy's running around as fast as he can and trying to slide into second. And when they get him out, it's the most exciting play in sports. Yes. It's so fun. <laughs> now, will that happen in Major League Baseball? No, that no. will not happen. However, the concept of there being a thing that can take a boring play meaning a guy takes ball four and jogs to first and slowly takes off the the pieces of armor that he put on before he comes to the plate and right. whatever. The concept of taking a play in the game that is de facto boring and making it something exciting, that's there's something there. There is Absolutely. something there. Without question, there is something there. And, and I'm sure that there is some 
little laboratory in within Major League Baseball that is tasked with examining the the cracks in the game that are boring and figuring out whether there's any way to make them more exciting. I agree. I mean, look, my thought is doing something that, that might be tough to do, but something like that with the intentional walk, right? Like, there, like if you're intentionally walk, you should not be powerless to do something to change the dynamic of the game. Like that's, right. that's a big issue. I mean, baseball already makes it so you only come up one every nine times. So when one of those is taken away, that should not, there should be some way to do it. And I don't know what that is, but you would hope that minds would be at work on that kind of thing. I mean, like there's stuff I was thinking about this from, from pure fun. Like, one of the most boring parts of baseball is obviously watching a new pitcher come into the game, right? Walks in from the from the uh, uh, outfield and does this. But that was not true when it was Al Herbosky, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like Al Herbosky come in. Or it wasn't Turk Wendell, the other Turk one. Turk Wendell who, did. Yeah. Like he sprinted in. Like he yeah. would just come flying in. A couple of guys would do that. Obviously, uh, Herbosky did this whole act where he would like, you know, get in. Like it was like a pro wrestling thing where you'd prepare so, I mean, there should be some way. I mean, you're not going to do that. That's an individual thing. But again, there's a boring thing that was not boring. Like you would be, you would go to a game hoping Al Herbosky would come into a game, right. not even to see him pitch, just to see the act of him coming in. It's like baseball really got away from from that stuff, and and yep. maybe culture has gotten away from that stuff too. But it, it does lead me to one other baseball point to be made because it is something I just wrote about over at, at Joe Blogs, and that is this. I am all for all sorts of fun baseball things, but I'm going to tell you right now, and maybe you'll completely disagree with me, I'm done with position players pitching. I'm done with <laughs> I'm, it, do, it. It does nothing for me anymore. So yesterday, we were recording this on Monday. On Sunday, Yadi Molina came in to pitch with the Cardinals up 18 to nothing. And right. it was the... Second week in a row that the Cardinals did this, where they pulled one of their legends and had him come in to pitch in the ninth inning. Last week it was uh, Albert Pujols, mm -hmm. but the Pujols thing was cool, I thought, because one, here's here's one of your all time legends. I mean, not that Molina's not, but but Pujols is on a different plateau. He'd been gone from St. Louis forever, right? Like we never thought you were going to see him in a Cardinals uniform again. Now he's in a Cardinals uniform, kind of reborn a little bit. He's having kind of a an okay season in some ways. He comes into the game. It was against the Giants, who were a good team. Mm -hmm. uh, they It was an unlikely lead that they had in the ninth inning. He comes in. It's fun. The Giants uh, goof around with it. It's in St. Louis. That's the other big point. Right. Everything about the Molina thing stunk. It was in Pittsburgh. Okay, so so that's just shoving it in those fans' faces. They had already gotten swept. They're down 18-0 in the ninth inning. They got to watch the Cardinals bring in, like a jerk, bring Yadi Molina into the game at the end, totally rubbing it in their faces. It's It already had been done. We'd just seen it with, mm -hmm. with St. Louis. Um, I hated it. I really did. I did not like it at all. All right. This is the closest we're ever going to get on this podcast to first take because I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. Here, here's the thing, man. It's 18. You're a, you're a Pirates fan. Yeah. Your team stinks. They've stunk for a long time. Yes. You go to a game 
because you decided that it's great to go to PNC and sit in the bleachers and eat a hot dog which and watch is. a baseball game, which, which it, is. it is. Yes. Over the course of the eight innings of that game, your team is down 18 to nothing. <laughs> but you say to yourself, you know what? I don't care. I'm a baseball fan. I'm sticking it out. This might yeah. be the only game I get to this whole year. Right. I'm not leaving. I'm staying. And then what do you see? You see something that has never happened before, which is Yadier Molina stepping up and, and deciding to go to the mound. And you think, well, this is interesting. This is worth staying here until the last inning. And then I'll tell you what else you see. Your team scores a bunch of runs because Yadier Molina it stinks. And as a pitcher, and and like I would, if I were a Pirates fan, I would be a little annoyed, maybe that it was like they're rubbing it in our faces. But if I'm a baseball fan, I also know, okay. This is his last year. He's retiring. He's a Hall of Famer. We're getting to see something very weird. That's like, why is it better that they bring in some random reliever you've never heard of who gets three outs and gives up a hit and a walk, and then they lose eighteen to nothing? Your team scored four runs. They hit. They hit home runs off him, didn't they? I mean, they hit (laughs) home runs. They hit two off pool holes. They hit two home runs off him. Yeah. So your team hit. You got to see your team hit two home runs. You've watched eight for eight innings. You've watched the Cardinals utterly shut down your sad bad team. And then you see a bunch of you see a rally. Like why is I to me that's great. I think that what the the next frontier is it's twelve nothing. Some team brings in some aging veteran. Joey Votto comes in to pitch right. uh, and with the Reds up twelve nothing, and they score like eight runs off him really quickly. And suddenly they're like having a meeting on the mound and they're hurriedly getting some real reliever loose in the bullpen. I, I t- look, this is the if you want to get closer to Savannah Banana Land and make the game more interesting, that ninth inning was going to be one of the most boring ninth innings that had ever existed in the history of baseball because the team has an 18 run lead. <laughs> right. There's no, the game doesn't matter. One of the teams stinks. Who cares? And then that one inning became a thing that you can remember for the rest of your life. Like, oh, I'm, I was there the day Yadi Molina. Came. It's not the biggest deal in the world. It's not a perfect game. It's not a four homer game. But it's way more interesting than that ninth inning would have been. And I'm for anything that makes the ninth inning of a blowout more interesting for the fans. I, I can see the argument. To me, it's it really is. It's it's pretty low rent. I, I just think. But see, I'm we a- got to get over this mindset. That's the thing. I like the 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 uh, the old like Tony La Russa attitude of like anything that's <laughs> I- anything that's low, like low class that we don't play that way, blah, blah, blah. That's what we got to get rid of. But here's my po- I, I agree with that 100 percent. But here's my point. We're going to have these guys complain constantly about guys swinging 3-0 and you're down seven runs or right? steal a base or whatever. And we're not going to complain about you just putting in a relief pitcher on the road. But the answer is to get them to stop complaining. But they're about not. But they're not going to stop. But we got to push. Point. But we got to push them in that direction. We got to get everybody over the idea that there's anything wrong with swinging 3-0 because no, of course there's not. Right. And so, like, let's push in that. Let's move in that direction with everything and get to the point where we stop thinking that there are unwritten rules of any kind in any way. That's that's what I want to do. I just think. That and I don't know that the Pirates are going to play the Cardinals again. I guess they will because they're in the same division, so they'll play each other some. I'm just saying that if these guys are going to sit there and lose their minds over nonsense like stealing a base or doing whatever, why wouldn't you throw at Yadi Molina literally every time he comes up for the rest of the year? <laughs> <laughs> they right. put him into pitch to mock them up 18 to nothing. Have we talked about this? Uh, I'm sure we have. But have we talked about the potential 
rule change, the dreamland rule change that will never happen, which is if you intentionally walk someone, everyone moves up a base. Have we talked I, about we, that? We, we have talked about that, and, and it should happen. Yeah, it would kill the intentional walk. It would kill the intentional walk. The, well, the funny thing would be that you would basically be going from a situation in which a guy's on second with nobody on first, and there's a good hitter up. Right. So you walk him to fill the base and set up a double play. You would basically do that when there's a guy's on when the guy's on first. Right. You would do it because you would be getting the same outcome that you did in well, the old what world. Well, you, what you would do is you wouldn't have intentional walks. You would have people throw the four balls. That's what you would have. Right. Right. You'd just, you would have no automatic intentional walks. Right. If you right. did that, that's yeah. like there's a great story. One of the many, many, many great stories about Greinke. When Zach Greinke was in. Um, uh, I think class a ball. He was, he was, they were having some sort of inner squad game during spring training or whatever on the minor league side. And guy came to the plate and, and Greg Eater was sort of at the end of his, of his, whatever, you know, uh, he'd thrown some pitches and he plunked him on purpose. He plunked his teammate on purpose and his teammate later went to him and said, why did you do that? And he said, cause I, I didn't want to face you and I didn't want to waste pitches. So, <laughs> so, so that's, that's the problem with the intentional walk is right. as bad as it is, there are other ways to do it where it's not an intentional walk. So in right. some ways, sort of the least offensive of the intentional walks is to just let the guy go to first base right? rather than, because honestly, if you said, okay, well, if, if, if I, I like the, you know, Bill James has the idea that you can turn down a walk. Yeah. Like that's like that's his ideas that you can turn down the walk and then basically if if you walk again you go to second. Like you like like that's right. the you know which I like that idea a lot because then you have some control whether you're intentionally walked walked um uh you know unintentionally or hit by a pitch you don't have to take it. Like you could you could take the chance. I think in almost all circumstances people would take the walk. Yeah. But it would be kind of fun if they didn't, I think. Yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, it, it certainly like if you were if it was second and third in a tie game in the ninth inning, you would turn yes. it down. You would turn you'd, it down because right? you'd be and then because well, if, if you're you, Mike Trout, you would probably turn it down quite a bit. Your manager right. would want you to turn it down quite a bit. Right, but you would turn it down because you would say, "Well, if I walk again, I, we win the game," because I would go to second and push the guy from third home. Right. Like so, yeah, it's an interesting. I mean. It's an interesting idea to, to to get at the same thing that everybody would move up one base, right? Which is essentially making the punishment for the walk much harsher. Much harsher, which is what it should be. One last point on the Molina thing, and it's not specific to Molina. He was the fifteenth guy this year to um, to uh, position player to pitch, right? So, which is a lot. And and again, to me, it's like this is what baseball does. It takes something really fun and cool, and then just like expands it to the point of like it, it loses uh, all of the magic or a lot of the magic for me. But here's something I would say. Molina obviously can't pitch, right? I mean, he threw 58 mile an hour fastballs and sliders that like were getting crushed. <laughs> but even so, Molina got three outs. Right. He, he, he still got three outs. Every position player who has come in to pitch has gotten at least one out. Right. Which sort of doesn't make hitters look that good to me. Like, like it feels to me these hitters are so good, but that hitting is so hard that, like, if you or I went out there to pitch, eventually we'd get an out. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, the, a, a guy would hit a line drive right at the third baseman, and he would catch right. it. I mean, Matt Barnes, who is um, who signed a two-year extension last year and immediately fell apart, and is essentially right. a sub-replacement level pitcher for the Red Sox now, came in to save a game the other night and gave up an absolute rocket to right field, which was caught by Jackie Bradley Jr. in a sort of awkward basket catch. And then he gave up an absolute rocket to center field that Kike Hernandez at a dead sprint moving back into the triangle caught for the third out. And what that looks like the next day is, hey, one, two, three inning. <laughs> one, two, Matt three Barnes inning. got a save, one, two, three inning, his ERA went down. And like, if you watch the game, you were like, oh, that was so, it was so possible that that was a seven run inning based yes. on the fact that they were all over his stuff. And it, it doesn't make the hitters look bad to me. It makes the game look impossible. It makes it. Yeah, it makes it. Maybe that's that, what it that's is. what it looks. Because you always well, at least you, from the hitting side. Yeah, from the hitting side, you see it all the time. Brett Phillips comes in to pitch, or Pujols gives up like a bunch of home runs and a bunch of doubles, and then eventually gets three outs, and you're like, yeah. oh my god, like it's so hard. <laughs> it is so hard to be a hitter, and and well, it's not like we don't know that, but when you, it, you, it is laid bare when a position player comes in and gives up like you know, gets three outs and gives up, maybe gives up a home run or gives up a couple of singles or whatever. But God, it is just so hard to be ahead of. Some of these guys get through it scoreless. I mean, it's crazy if you think about it. Look, right now, and I think this is changing because something happened to the baseball in the last two weeks. But right now, the league batting average is 238, which is the lowest in baseball history, if, if it would sustain itself, which right. it won't. Eventually, they'll move ahead of the 68 year i think that was 239 maybe a couple of other years but there's still going to be one of the lowest in baseball may was may was a lot better than has been a lot better than april well the home runs have been flying out again yeah which is which is weird you know and sort of again conspiratorial yeah uh, theories but when your batting average is that low around baseball and then you watch like replacement pitchers come into the game and get outs you're like it's too hard. It's yeah. just, I mean, it is It is to the point. If those guys, I mean, they would hit, obviously, a very, very high batting average against Albert Pujols if he was truly right. a starting pitcher, right? But they're not. They're only five times as good as Albert Pujols. So, but Albert Pujols can also get outs. So that tells me how possible is it to get hits anymore? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's madness. It's yeah. absolute madness. And I don't know how you fix that. All right, we have some new segments. Should we get to our new segments? Let's get to our new segments. All right, well, first segment I will give is not a new one, but sort of a continuation, but we never remember the name of it. It's something like <laughs> something like stuff we don't talk enough about. Isn't yes. that what it is? Stuff, yeah. stuff we don't know what to talk about enough about. Um, we Wait, do well, not... How did you just say it? You just said it, you said it differently. You I think just... I, I said it's stuff we don't talk enough about, and then I said... Stuff we don't enough talk talk about enough. <laughs> we should we should we should commission a new piece of music for a for a new slash old segment called "Stuff We Don't Enough, <laughs> enough talk, talk About Enough." About enough. <laughs> so stuff we don't talk enough about. Um, no Canadian hockey team has won the uh, Stanley Cup since 1990. Uh, we should talk. We should be talking about this every day. <laughs> every day, every minute of every day. Yeah. Now I don't care about hockey. I never really have. Right. I uh, in the Olympics, a few. I don't remember which Olympics it was. A while ago, U.S. and Canada played in the gold medal game. Yes. I was 100 percent rooting <laughs> for Canada. Like I, I, I was like, look. 
this is this matters so much so more much to them yeah so much more to canada than it does to the us and we should always be rooting for put your patriotism on the shelf where it belongs and root for the nation to which it means the most that's right and when you talk about the stanley cup multiply it by a thousand right yes. like it, yes. and who i don't know who's good and who isn't if you told me right now that the two best teams in hockey were the New York Islanders and the Dallas Stars. <laughs> I would believe you because I've heard of them and I know that they're actual hockey teams. And all I know is that the Panthers are playing the Lightning That's because right. I hear the, the the goons over at Meadowlark headquarters talk about the Ice Cats, which oh, is what they call guys. the Panthers every day. And oh. I know that the Panthers are down 3-0, which uh, is delightful to me. Yes. Uh, yes. Great. Great news because they're 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 rubbing in the heat over the Celtics right oh, now. Of course they are. So much, and so I'm now I've switched. I was rooting for the Ice Cats because it means a lot to them, but now because they're being such jerks about the heat, I'm <laughs> I'm switching, and I'm now rooting for Tampa Bay to sweep. But I know that Calgary and Edmonton are playing. That's right. In one of the in one of the rounds, and whoever wins that series, I want that team to win the Stanley Cup. That's the last. That's the last of the Canadians. Those those are the last of. And I mean, no offense. Like I actually really like. There's, there's a hockey team. I live in Charlotte. It's a hockey team in Raleigh. The Hurricanes, very cool organization. Uh, I've gotten Strongly disagree there. because they were stolen from Hartford. Well, true. No, no, absolutely. They, I, I'm, I speak not for the for the larger uh, thing. I just spe- I'm speaking specifically. The current franchise. About yeah. that organization right now. Yeah, cool place, cool people. But, come on. Really, Raleigh, North Carolina. That's you're you're telling me Toronto's out, Montreal's out, and you're telling me that Raleigh, North Carolina needs to be in the Stanley Cup. Well, this is this is what this is what I don't understand about hockey is, I I know that roughly the history being that Gretzky goes to L.A. and suddenly hockey is opened to the Southern United States in a way that it hadn't been before, but there is something fundamentally stupid. (laughs) <laughs> about franchises from places like Dallas, yep, and Tampa Bay, yep, and Miami, Miami and yep. Phoenix, Raleigh. And, and Raleigh, North Carolina, having anything to do with hockey. <laughs> hockey should be north of the Mason-Dixon line only. There yeah. should be no hockey team south of the Mason-Dixon <laughs> line. It is not for you. Get, stop playing hockey and let let the. I don't understand. This is this is the thing about you know that people always say about. Um, New England, specifically, or Boston, cities like Boston, Chicago, whatever. These cities care so deeply about their sports that when yes. that they their fan bases essentially demand that they put competitive teams on the field, that they spend money, that they get the best talent and managerial talent, and it doesn't always work out that way. Obviously, like you know, the the Cubs had their run and the White Sox had their run, but you know, there are there are certainly fallow periods of cities uh, in Big the time. northern United States that that um, that where they just stink for a long time. Sure. However, I don't understand how it's possible that for 30 years, Toronto and Montreal and Edmonton no and Calgary and Vancouver haven't had great teams. Like, who cares more about it than, than they do? Like, right. how have they not had the best GMs and the best drafts and the best coaches and the best players? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it is baffling. And again, I don't know enough about hockey i should i should try to do like the ultimate history of how the heck this happened uh because it's crazy it really is and it is i think it is not without mentioning that you know it's worth mentioning that nashville and tampa bay and raleigh 
and and even Miami now and Dallas to some you know for a while they they built great teams like really great teams yeah. in these places with incredible fan bases these places go crazy for their hockey no no question about it it's just it's not ours it's just it's you know it's like it would really truly be like if there were five baseball teams in Canada and they won the World Series like every year. For 30 straight years. 30 yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy enough when Toronto won those back-to-back World Series. You had people like going, what the heck is going on here? But imagine that for 30 years. Like yeah. every every passionate American baseball fan is like, yeah, not, not Well, and, and add to Canada, Buffalo. Like Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo, it, Buffalo gets added. Which is yeah. essentially Canadian, a Canadian right. city. Right. And in fact, I think it's further north than some of those actual Canadian cities. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, the Buffalo Sabres not being competitive really in, in forever. That's also shocking to me. And I, and oh, like, yeah. look, I get it. It's not a major metropolis and whatever. But like that that is a, a place that should absolutely have hoisted the Stanley Cup at least once in the last 30 years. But that's a great point. Detroit is kind of Canadian, yeah. and that's been a while. But at least Detroit had a period where they were winning everything. Oh, yeah, year. yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah. saying, but now, you look now, it's all concentrated in the South. Yeah. There's no Detroit, there's no Boston, there's no Chicago. I guess the Rangers are still in it. But none of these other teams are even still in it. I mean, I wonder yeah. if that's just the, you know, it's at a certain point, in the last 30 years, every college kid was like, do I want to go to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan to play football? Or do I want to go to to like Austin, Texas or or Alabama or Florida to play? And like, do, where do I want to live? Like it, there is a quality of life thing with the advent of the, the free agency and player empowerment and all that sort of stuff. The, the choice became much more about quality of life. And I think that you're probably on balance happier in the off season if you're a hockey player, if you live in Nashville or Miami or Dallas or, or Phoenix, Arizona, than you are if you live in Buffalo or, or Detroit or wherever. And, or maybe not. I mean, it's the, these I are cold. Know. These are cold weather folks we're talking about. They've, yeah. they've grown up well, playing and, hockey, and and they're playing during the winter. So it's the. I mean, right. You know, places like Buffalo and and Minneapolis and and I mean, these are delightful in the summer. I mean, they're great summer locations. So yeah. I don't know. It's a. It is a. I'm sure that there are hockey fans listening to us. First of all, going, what the heck are you guys even talking about? Just yeah. stop. I'm sure that everything hockey. we've said is wrong. Exactly. Uh, and the other thing is they're saying every, every single thing they're saying is completely wrong. So, <laughs> But that is our segment. So keep keep Canada hockey in your thoughts. That's all yes. we're saying. Um, new segment. New, so we have two new segments. Oh, here, very here exciting. New segment number one, Hero of the Week. Hero very, of the Week. Very straightforward. Someone out there in the sports world was a hero. We're going to celebrate that hero. Okay. The inaugural podcast Hero of the Week. Wait, do, do we have nominees or is it just automatic? No, no. we just pick one. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much work. No, there is one obvious answer this week. Hero of the week, podcast legend and favorite, uh, Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson. So we have talked about Tim Anderson a lot. We love Tim Anderson. Tim yes. Anderson is great. When I went uh, and called a White Sox game with our fr- friend of the podcast, Jason Benetti, I yes. was on the field beforehand with my jerk son, 
whose life is much better than mine ever was or ever will be. And among the many things that made his life better than mine are that we ran into Tim Anderson in the tunnels and he had just taken BP and he gave my son his batting gloves. Oh. Uh, and that, I all, already was a fan. He was already delightful. He was yeah. already delightful, yeah. but he was incredibly nice and charming to my son and gave him his batting gloves and that ruled. So Tim Anderson uh, gave an interview many years ago in which yes. he talked about his style of play. And yes. uh, and he he said in the interview that in a way he thought of himself as a new Jackie Robinson type right. figure. And he had right. said in that moment, if you look at the transcript, he said, I understand what it means to say that. I understand what the history is there, what the legacy is there. Right. But what he meant was that he has, he feels as though he is a an ambassador of sorts into a new style of more demonstrative and fun, fun and excitement baseball, baseball yes. right? Yes. So there's another player in Major League Baseball named Josh Donaldson. And Josh Donaldson uh, is a jerk and no one likes him. And <laughs> Josh Donaldson uh, currently plays for the New York Yankees, which yes. I'm not sure if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, um, but I'm not a fan. I'm not a huge Yankee Wait, guy. you're not? No, I'm a Red Sox fan, and, and typically speaking, I, wow. I am anti-Yankees. Well, you, you would think you would have mentioned that before now. I, I feel like I have. If I haven't, I apologize. But for the right, let me state for the record, I don't like the Yankees. So Josh yeah. Donaldson plays for the Yankees, and in a game over the weekend, he uh, passed Tim Anderson. I think he was at second base or something, and he said something like, hey, what's up, Jackie? And uh, Tim Anderson didn't uh, like that so much. Um, No. Hard to blame him. Uh, He and, by the way, he and Josh Johnson, we learned later, are not friends. No, in any any way. way. But but that was not a difficult guess, since best I can tell, Josh Donaldson has no friends. That's right. Josh Donaldson is a jerk and nobody likes him. Tim Anderson is cool and everybody likes him. So the two of them are not friends. So... Uh, so Tim Anderson tells his teammates about this. T- Josh Donaldson goes. Let me let me add one yeah. other point, which is that a couple of days earlier, or the day before, I can't even remember. It might have been the day before. Um, they'd almost gotten into a fight. Yeah. Because Josh Donaldson pushed him off of third base. Right. In an attempt to like fake out the umpire and tag him out on a on a uh, uh, play where a pickoff play by the catcher through third. He catches it, pushes him off the back, tags him, tries to say, I got him out. Right. And uh, and Tim Anderson didn't like that. Yeah. So that that's leading in. So so whatever deep friendship they shared yeah. before. Whatever closeness before they had was was already strained. <laughs> so uh, so he tells his teammates about this, and yeah. um, Josh Donaldson comes to the plate and Yasmani Grandal has a couple thoughts that he shares with Josh Donaldson. He, he, Yes. What I'm guessing he said was, you're a jerk and nobody likes you, or something to that effect. <laughs> That's probably right. And then Josh Donaldson is jawing back at him, and bench is clear, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Tony La Russa uh, maybe tries to fight Josh Donaldson himself. <laughs> I'm not, it's unclear what happened. Now, the, 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 the two most interesting things that happened uh, in the aftermath of this to me were Josh Donaldson in the post-game interview tried to say, Oh, that's an inside joke that he and I have. Right. Uh, he's, right. He called himself Jackie, and I, that's an inside joke that he and I have shared in the past or whatever. Yes. And then yes. Liam Hendricks, the White Sox reliever, said, yeah, normally inside jokes are things that you share with your friends, and they're not friends and nobody <laughs> likes him, and so I doubt that that's an inside joke. <laughs> now, the, the reason why 
Uh, and June Lee uh, pointed out uh, that pointed this out. I believe it was June Lee, uh, Red Sox beat writer, pointed this out on on Twitter. But the reason that this is bad uh, is because even in a scenario where he thought he was sharing in an inside joke, which is right. dubious to believe. Oh yeah, that's dubious. W- what you're doing in that moment is you're taking something essentially sacred and full of import and meaning, and you're turning it into jocularity or mockery, right? Yes, like you're, that's right. you're, you're taking the name of, of uh, pr- the most important, the single most important baseball player who ever played the game, right. and you're using it in a, like a jocular or, or flippant casual context which is yeah. just generally not a good idea in no. any scenario no. like you just no. don't want to ever ever do that um but the reason the real reason that Tim Anderson is the hero of the week the podcast hero of the week is that in the in the the next day he came up and hit a <laughs> devastating dagger three run homer to right field in that stupid little league park that they play in <laughs> that the Yankees play in and as he ran around the ba- and they were the fans were booing him because and and some of them chanting Jackie, some of them chanting Jackie, yeah. uh, in in classic just Yankee fandom. It goes down in the annals of history of like great Yankee fandom. Yes, and he hits a three run homer and runs around the bases giving the shh sound with his <laughs> finger to his lips, and for that you Tim Anderson are the podcast hero of the week. <laughs> You know, I was wondering about this. We we should get somebody on this podcast who has written a book about ethics. Hmm. Because I was wondering about this. So let's say, mm-hmm. for argument's sake, which is, which is, it's silly, but let's just say that there was some sort of inside joke, at least in the mind of Josh Donaldson, right? Let's say when that article came out, he he said something to Tim Anderson about, oh, hey, how you doing, Jackie? And Tim Anderson, like, smiled or just kind of, like, gave some indication that it didn't bother him. And then in Josh Donaldson's mind, because nobody likes him anyway, right. he goes, oh, we're friends. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a little friendly banter between us. And then let's say, again, all of these things outstretched, you know. Let's say that in order to try to lighten the the mood after their near fight the day before, he really did think like that, hey, I'll just say, I'll just call him Jackie and it'll it'll bring back our long lost friendship and right. he'll, you know. Let's say all that's true. From an ethical standpoint, does that matter? Does it matter his motivation? Because right now, one thing that is true is he will he will probably get suspended for this. We don't know that right now, but MLB is investigating. Mm-hmm. My sense is their investigation will be asking Tim Anderson, "Hey, are you guys friends?" And Tim Anderson going, "No, nobody's no, he's a jerk and nobody likes guy. him." Yeah. <laughs> At which point MLB will go to him and say, "Man, you can't be saying stuff like that. You're going to be suspended for three games or whatever it will be." And I don't know. You know, people will argue whether that's right or wrong, but. The motivation of something like that, like there's no question that that Josh Donaldson is a jerk. Mm-hmm. And there's no question that Josh Donaldson, based on his own life and his own background, has no right whatsoever to step into this world where he can invoke Jackie Robinson's name, you know, just as if as if he's some sort of heir to the to the Robinson legacy or something. The whole thing is lunacy. But 
does it matter if really it was in his own mind, which is not impossible in his own mind. He was like, man, I was just, I was just joking around with a guy that I thought was my friend or at least somewhat a friend. Okay. So a couple things. Number one, I actually wrote a book on ethics. Wait, no, no. I thought we, wait, you wrote one? I did. I thought yeah. we'd get like a guest. No, no, no. To, I, I, I'm, I can fill that role. Cause I wrote a wow, book on ethics. Why didn't you tell me? I feel like I did, uh, but I might've slipped my mind in any case. It's called how to be perfect. Um, the, uh, and you can buy it at bookstores everywhere. But here's what I would say about this. Um, There is, when you work for any company um, and you do like an an HR uh, seminar, training seminar about, let's say, uh, sexual harassment in the workplace. Right. One of the most common misconceptions that the people who are running that that workshop need to convey is that intent is irrelevant. You can say something or do something that you intend to be hey, it's funny, it's just a little joke, oh, I was just trying to make you laugh or whatever. If you caused discomfort for your coworker, that is not a defense of your behavior. It doesn't matter that you intended it in a certain way if it was received in a different way, right? Right. So intent is essentially, in my mind, irrelevant here as well. Um, And it is very frequently the case that in issues of, let's say, sexual harassment in the workplace or offensive speech in any kind of context, there are certainly plenty of times when you think you are doing something, but but you are actually doing another thing. Right. And there are also right. plenty of times where maybe in the past you have said something and what happens is the person who received it smiled or chuckled or kind of ha 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 ha. And, and because they were just trying not to have a conflict with a superior or create a, a difficult situation or didn't feel like they have the power or authority in that moment to speak up and actually say, I don't like this, this makes me feel uncomfortable because it's hard to do that. So what will frequently happen is someone will make a joke, an offensive joke, other people will go (laughs) and leave the room, then they'll make another one and then the person will go like, all right, now I'm complaining and the person who made the offensive jokes will say to the HR representative, I made a joke like that a week ago and they laughed, right? So. Even if that is the scenario, which again, it's not because Josh Donaldson is a jerk and nobody (laughs) likes him. But even if that is the situation, that is not a defense of saying that thing, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing to say is that Josh Donaldson saying that in that context and it being received very clearly and obviously by not only Tim Anderson, but his teammates who came to his defense and all of that stuff, if Josh Donaldson's intention, if his motivation in saying it were actually to say, oh, I I thought this was a thing that we had because right. remember five years ago I said this to you or whatever. <laughs> if that were the case, that is not how he would have reacted, right? right? How he would have reacted is he would have gone, I am so so sorry. Yes. I yes. I swear to God, I'm I I I absolutely understand why this could have rankled him. We had this conversation a few years ago. I was trying to reference that conversation. I am ashamed that I caused him discomfort because he and I, in my mind, are very close friends. <laughs> and and he would have called Tim Anderson privately and said that yep. to him. He would have apologized more sincerely than he did in the interview. He would <laughs> Which have was released, not an apology. It wasn't an apology at all. He would have released right. a statement. He would have said, like, there is nothing in the world that can excuse 
the behavior that I exhibited, and I, I, I promise you, I intended it in a, only as an, in a gesture of friendship. And if it wasn't received that way, that is my fault. And I, yes. this is a learning experience, and I will never do this again. All of that stuff that you would do if you were actually embarrassed right. and ashamed of something you did, you right. would not do what he did, which is be like, what? It's an inside joke. <laughs> Everything's cool. It's I'm Josh Donaldson. It's Everybody joke. likes me. <laughs> no, it's an inside joke. First of all, you make a really good point because there's one other point to be made here, which was it was actually the second time in the game that he had called him. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. It was like so. So he did it the first time. And and Tim Anderson said, I let that slide. But then he did it again. Like he wanted right. to be sure yeah. that he heard yeah. this. Like like the first time you do it, if in your adult mind you kind of think like, yeah, no, no, this is a little bit of an inside joke. He'll he'll get it. He'll be like, oh man, okay, what's past is past. Let's let's move on. Okay, it didn't work the first time. <laughs> yeah. Like so clearly you were doing it. Plus, I mean, he's he's a jerk. Like that's like like. He's he's a jerk and he's also a purposeful jerk. Yeah. Like he's a jerk, but he's also somebody who does this kind of thing on purpose in order to rile people up, get them out of their game, get them out of their head. He's the guy that yelled at Lucas Giolito when he when he uh, hit a home run off of him. Yelled, ah, the ball ain't sticky anymore. Like that's that's who this guy is. Yeah. So you know he was needling him no matter what anybody wants to say. That's that's at a minimum. But but then when he he gave that apology, it was not in any way. It wasn't an apology. It wasn't an apology. It was just like but an he, explanation of explanation, why he was why it, it was actually okay that he did it. <laughs> but in it, he gave that horrible one of the worst apology. Like we ought to at some point draft terrible apology things. Oh great! And I love it. He d- he did one of the worst, which is the. If he was insulted, sorry, I'm sorry if he was offended. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, and in, in yeah. the book I wrote about ethics, there's a whole chapter on apologizing, <laughs> and that that is identified as the number one mistake that people make when apologizing. Right? When it's apologizing, like, it's I'm sorry if you were offended because what that means is what I actually did was fine. Yes. And you're so stupid that you didn't know it was fine. I'm so it's I'm sorry that you're so stupid that you thought that what I did wasn't fine. It's That's just right. a, it's an absolute uh, abdication of duty. Oh, so no hero of the week, Tim Anderson. Why don't we do, let's change this. Why don't we do hero of the week slash jerk of the week? And in this case, they're the same. It's the same event. <laughs> hero of the week, Tim Anderson for hitting the three run homer. Yes. For, for, first of all, for just like standing up for just in being, the name of, for being cool. Look, just being Tim Anderson. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously, he could be Hero of the Week every week, really. Well, why don't we call it the Tim Anderson Award for for Hero, the Tim Anderson Hero of the Week Award? <laughs> and then, so for for just with uh, enduring the uh, behavior, and then for hitting the three run homer and shushing the yes. crowd, which is just beyond what anyone could expect of even a Hero of the Week and Jerk of the Week, Josh Donaldson. It should be the Josh Donaldson Jerk of the Week Award. <laughs> All right, so that's what it is. Tim Anderson Hero of the Week Award, Josh Donaldson yes. Jerk of the Week Award. And yes. uh, and I, I think you're right. A key piece of evidence in this investigation will be the undeniable fact that Josh Donaldson is a jerk and nobody <laughs> likes him. And hopefully uh, hopefully that will the, – the Jerk of the Week Award will put a fine point on that. That, that should finish it off. Yeah. That should finish it off. All right. What is our second new segment of the week? Okay, so we talk a lot about robot umps. Yes, on we this do. podcast, um, and uh, and I am fond in the mini group chat on text that I have with Joe and uh, Brandon McCarthy, 
Uh, I am fond of nothing more than taking screenshots of the MLB game day app as a pitch is incorrectly called in a crucial situation (laughs) and sending it, texting it to you annoyingly and just saying this was a two and two count with the bases loaded or three and two count with the bases loaded and this was ball four and it was called strike three and this is infuriating or whatever. Or this was a a three-two count with nobody on, they went on to score four runs. There were two outs. Right. right? There were two outs, and this was a call to ball four when it should have been strike three, and it led to a three-run rally. Yeah. That's So in the name of fairness, we are going to introduce a new segment called Umpire of the Week. Umpire of the Week. If if anything needs music, it's Umpire of the Week. Umpire of the Week. So so, um, those of you who are on Twitter uh, might be familiar with at ump scorecards. Yes, um, which is a a bot that um, that basically takes all of the decisions, all the ball strike calls from a game. It totals up the calls that were missed, the balls that were called strikes, and strikes that were called balls. Gives an overall accuracy and consistency rating to the umpire, and calculates uh, how many runs those calls were worth, plus or minus, for each team. So. In a given game, it's an Atlanta-Milwaukee game. Here's one, Phil Cuzzy. So Phil Cuzzy, um, on Tuesday, the 17th of May, was uh, was the ump for the Braves-Brewers game. It ended up Braves 3, Brewers 0. And okay. in that game, Phil Cuzzy was uh, was eight, only 89% uh, accurate. He called 154 of 174 taken pitches correctly. So he missed 20 ball and strike calls, which is not good. Not good uh, at all. And 14 uh, balls were called inside the zone, and three called strikes were outside the zone. And he fi- and they figure that out, and what they come up with is that Atlanta was actually penalized by 1.46 runs. Like, yes. he gave Milwaukee, who lost the game, an extra a total, an extra 1.3 runs, because Milwaukee was minus 0.16, Atlanta was minus 1.46. So overall, Milwaukee was gifted by Phil Cuzzy 1.3 runs for the game. Now Atlanta still won the game, essentially no harm, no foul, except for the fact that that will come back to bite you on the ass if of you're that inaccurate, right? Yes. So that is an example of a bad job of umpiring. Phil Cuzzy does not get umpire of the week because he did a bad job. <laughs> The umpire of the week this week is Pat Hoberg. So, Ooh, Pat, congratulations. So, Pat, Pat Hoberg. Um, Pat Hoberg, uh, on Friday, uh, May 20th, he was the umpire in the Rangers Astros game. The Rangers won three to nothing. And in that game, he called 122 out of 124 taken pitches wow. correctly. He only missed two calls in the entire game. They were both borderline pitches they were at the top of the zone uh it, one of them was in the top of the ninth with no outs and the bases empty in a three nothing game uh it was a one one count and then there was a ball that just clipped the uh the strike zone and was called a, a a ball instead of a strike very very borderline pitch the other one was in the top of the fourth it was a two one count it was a strike it was called a ball again clipped the top of the zone very very close two out of 91 called balls were strikes. Two out of 91 and zero of 33 called strikes were actually balls. That is an incredible game by Pat Hoberg. So Pat Hoberg, the inaugural podcast umpire of the week, 
if if all umpires had the kind of game that Pat Hoberg had on Friday, we would not need robot umps. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that is sadly they not the case. They can't all be Pat Hoberg. They can't all be Pat Hoberg. So follow yes. if you if you're interested in in the the nerdiest possible thing. <laughs> I implore you all to follow at Ump Scorecards on Twitter, and you will get a report for every ump in every game, and you'll yep. see how accurate they were. And and what is infuriating is when there's a situation, and obviously when they're calculating these runs, it's like, look, it's easy. If it's a three-two count and the bases are loaded, and there's a ball that's a there's a, a pitch that's a strike that's called a ball, well, that's like a, an entire run. That's like an entire run. That's right. You know, but then they're right. calculating like. What are the you know the expected runs scored for every single count with every single situation? Who's on base? How many outs? Everything else, and they total the whole thing up. And there are times when your team will lose by one run, and the other team will have been gifted one point seven six runs, yeah, and you're like, well, that's the whole game. And it it very often confirms what you believe uh, when you watch a game, and it also interestingly sometimes refutes what you believe you will sometimes believe that you have been the beneficiary of only two borderline calls and the other team has been the beneficiary of 75 right. and when you actually see the scorecard you'll see no actually he got a lot of those calls right and there were more that went my way and whatever it's a good way to kind of debrief yourself if you feel like the umping has been inconsistent uh in a given game and to see exactly what the effect is of a home plate umpire on a game yeah, no question about it. No question. And and I think, you know, we should honor those on because here's the thing. The reason we are so pro uh some version of RoboOMPs is this is really hard to do. Yeah. It's really really hard to do. Home plate umpiring. I mean, there are some pitches that you're like yeah, you know, maybe that's a ball, maybe that's a strike. There, yeah. there, it doesn't matter how many times you look at it. It doesn't matter when you see it located. It's like, maybe, maybe it's a ball, maybe it's a strike. I mean, this is, it's so hard to do. And the thing that you can get out of um, both robo-umps and looking at ump scorecards is sort of a, I mean, whether it's a ball or a strike, it's consistent. Yeah, It's going to be a consistent, it's sort of like, I was talking to a uh, somebody who actually is a um, tennis, pretty high-profile tennis um, umpire, tennis uh, linesman umpire, and he insists that often uh, Hawkeye, which is their replay system, that Hawkeye will get it wrong, that Hawkeye is not 100% accurate. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because everybody knows it's the closest thing that we can get to accuracy. Right. So if Hawkeye calls it in, it's in. If Hawkeye calls it out, it's out. And beyond that, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And I think that's what baseball umpire is missing is some sort of like sense of consistency where like that doesn't look like a ball to me or that doesn't look like a strike to me, but it is a ball and it is a strike. Right. Because it's always going to get called the same way. Yeah. And we don't have that, obviously, with different umpires and different eyes. And, and Paul Hoberg goes... He doesn't have perfect games every day, you know, like he'll have, he'll have games where he, he misses them. So it's, it's, that's why, that's why we think that, uh, we're going to have to do something about the umpire. And, and obviously the, the, the simplest thing to say is that Hawkeye is a laser beam that is trained and precisely run down existing yes. and standardized baselines and, and end lines and stuff, uh, and sidelines. Whereas in baseball, 
Aaron Judge does not have the same strike right. zone as strike Jose zone Altuve, moves. and right. the strike zone is moving, and like that is re- what's required of umpires in those moments is so much more varied than what's required of Hawkeye. So nobody is saying that this is a precise system or that it's a that it's that it's uh, it's easy or anything else. The thing that that robot umpires does promise is the same thing is applied to every hitter. That somehow yes. you could calibrate it and say like the hitter comes up comes to the plate, stands up straight, a, the adjustments are made quickly in terms of where the strike zone is, and then you get the right the calls, uh, you know, or at least consistent calls from batter to batter. That is that is the promise of it. And if, again, if everyone were Pat Hoberg on Friday, then well, I, think that's I think we would care less about this. Basically what we need to do is, okay, there, there are different ways you can do this. You can, you can work with cameras and lasers and build that, or we can just clone a bunch of Pat Hobergs. And just have, we and should just at least look one. into it. We should at least investigate whether it's possible. <laughs> at this point, at this point, we ought to at least uh, consider. All right, before we go to one last meaningless thing, I need to give you an opportunity. Now, I cannot promise that this will appear on the podcast because the overlords at uh, at Metal Arc Media very well might not let it happen. You know how they control what we do. They're they're essentially fascists. They're they're. They're scary. By the way, did you see the person on Twitter who who got a hold of the Metal Arc uh, uh, yes. <laughs> sort of yeah the guide basically it's it's the it's the guidebook yeah. to to Metal Arc Media and uh, and it's scary. I mean, very you know, intimidating we, document. Yeah. I did not leak it. I I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying that you did. I'm just saying. We were the only ones that had one, so I, I don't know how it got out there. But I don't know. I, I mean, there's you know that they're going to crack down. Uh, oh, yeah, they'll like find, they'll find yeah. the league. Yeah, yeah, they'll find the league. <laughs> but I want to give you this opportunity, even with that danger uh, lurking, to basically say, are, are your Celtics going to save us or not? I don't know, man. Um this is these teams are incredibly evenly matched. This is yes. a this is a, I, I I thought going in this was a true coin flip with maybe yep. a fifty two forty eight heat because they have home home court. Right. Um, and what is interesting about this series is game one, Heat come out and just punch the Celtics in the mouth very quickly. It destroyed them. And yes. they and they Celtics hung in for a while and cut it to single digits or whatever, but it never really felt like the Celtics were going to win. Game two, Celtics come out and just obliterate the Heat. Just not only punch them in the mouth, like hold them down on the ground and keep <laughs> punching them long after the ever, their friends were trying to pull them off. Yes. Uh, and and one, we're up by 25 at halftime. They won by 25. It was never close. Not for a second right. was that game close. So then they go back to Boston, and you're like, well, okay, Boston has the momentum, and everybody in, in the media is calling the series for Boston. Boston's got this. They're going to win. It's going to be blah, yeah. blah, blah. Miami yeah, comes out and you... punches them in the mouth, right. and immediately they're <laughs> down by 15 points. And you're like, what is happening? And and what has – look, I, I don't know enough about basketball to be able to really analyze this, but what I do know is there have been different game plans for all three of these games from both yeah. teams, like from both teams. The, in the first game – in that third quarter, when the Heat outscored them by 25 or whatever, in that third quarter, the Heat were. Um, do you remember in the Super Bowl, in the the Buccaneer Super Bowl, there's that piece of sa- the the first one, not the recent one. 
There's a piece of sound from NFL films where John Lynch is running up the field and he goes, we know what they're going to throw. We know everything they're going to throw. Like he was like so happy because their scouting department or probably they taped practices like everybody else, (laughs) but they, they'd stolen their sides or whatever. But he's just like, we know what exactly what play they're running. And the heat knew exactly what play the Celtics were running on every single possession. And they just, it was like a video game where they just kept jumping in front of the passing lanes and stealing (laughs) the passes and the Celtics never adjusted. And then in game two, the, and, and what they were doing was the Celtics liked to dribble the ball up the court and then dump it to their center at the at the top of the three-point arc. And that's a sort of distribution point, and then they run their plays off of that. And basically what happened was the Heat just were kept anticipating that play and just right. jumping in and stealing the ball. Yes. And so in early in game two, they came up the court. I think Tice or maybe Horford came to the top of the key. Oh, no, it was Tatum, I think, came to the top of the key. They they faked a pass to them. The guy jumped the passing lane and Tatum back cut them and got into the paint for like an easy score. Yes. And suddenly it was like, oh, that play doesn't work anymore because we adapted. Right. And then in game three, they're, they're, the Heat had a different game plan, which was uh, wind up PJ Tucker like a crazy <laughs> toy robot and have him maul Jason Tatum with his fists. And that worked really well. Like yeah, they, it did. They just beat the crap out of Tatum on every to the point where Tatum had to leave the game because he was like miserably injured, yes. and um, and shot you know one of seven from three and three of fourteen from the court. And so tonight, I don't know what the game plan is for either team, but it will be different than the first yeah. three. And that's it'll be different. It's part of what makes this an exciting series is that I think that these are two really good coaches. Obviously, Ime Udoka is new. As a head coach, Spolster's been around forever and is great. But these are not guys who are like, like Mike Budenholzer was like, we're running our Giannis offense. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And these two guys, I think, are like, are really adapting and changing and coming up with new different ways to go. And I I don't, I have no idea what's going to happen. Look, if the South, would you be surprised if the Celtics won tonight by 30? No, of course you wouldn't. Would you be surprised if the Heat won by 25? No, you wouldn't. Like <laughs> that is that is what is so weird about this series is I think they're really evenly matched teams and yet all three games have essentially not been that close. Even though the Celtics cut it to cut it to a point with two and a half minutes left the other in game three, you just never really felt like they were gonna win that game. Like yeah. I, I, they I don't know how I don't know how it's possible, but they um they, they, they're really evenly matched teams, and the games are all blowouts, and it's a very weird thing to watch. It's a weird thing to watch. That Heat team in general, as we've talked about, is so difficult. But you mentioned Spolstra. You know, think about this. When he got that job, it was for the LeBron, you know, I'm, I'm you know, going, taking my talents to South Beach, mm-hmm. LeBron. So he was literally at that time. It was like, who cares who the coach is? Right, right. So like matter. LeBron's gonna, right? LeBron's gonna coach this team, and 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 uh, Wade is gonna coach this team, and it doesn't matter. And they're you know whatever, and you know he coached them, and 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 you would you know every time there was a little lull, people would be like, is that guy gone? It's like I mean, is this is this the end of Eric Spolstra? I mean, is you know it's it's is he basically the the uh, Paul Westhead of this of this team, and are they eventually just going to run him off and bring in you know somebody else? And now that guy has outlived all of the others, yeah. And he's like 
one of the best, if not the best coaches in the NBA. It's crazy. If you yeah, he's, that. I mean, he's unquestionably a top three coach in the NBA. Yeah, and, he's got to be, right? And the way you know that is he takes teams without, they don't really have superstars on that team. No. And Butler, he takes them deep into the playoffs every single year. Yeah, Butler, but, like playoff Jimmy Butler, yes. Playoff Jimmy But Butler. you're talking about Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and a bunch of guys who right. weren't even drafted. <laughs> and they have a system there, and he clearly is an excellent strategic coach. And he clearly, like it was impossible to know whether he was good or bad because they had right. three of the seven best players in the league right. and they just beat right. everybody. But they, it, it's it's very, very clear that he is a top Three coach, he's and I mean, fantastic. maybe he's probably the best coach in the game. But that being said, there's also this weird war of attrition thing that's going on right now, too, where like Smart's ankle got turned super yes. badly. Tatum's yes. shoulders hurting him. Butler had to leave with a knee thing. Hero's not playing tonight because of his groin. Like right. these, are, these are these teams are beating the crap out of each other. Oh yeah. And meanwhile, and you know, over you know who's happy? over on the West Coast, <laughs> the 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 Golden State Warriors are essentially ice skating their way through the the Western Conference Finals. And like you know, they're they're up three zero. They're probably gonna sweep. They're just they're gonna have like a week and a half off watching. PJ Tucker beat the crap out of Jason Tatum and watching like just abs just a w- absolute war of attrition and oh, yeah. one of these two teams is going to hobble their way to Oakland <laughs> like beaten and bruised and bloody bruised. they're going to be pulling people from the stands to yeah. play in the game and then there's in mean... Jordan Poole and and Clay Thompson and and uh, Steph Curry are just going to be like dancing around and blowing kisses to the crowd as a hailstorm of threes rains through the bucket and and by the way, also if they if they say like no, look, I know we're beaten and bruised, but we got to stand up and fight. They're gonna run into Draymond Green and Kavon Looney and, and Otto Porter and all these guys who are gonna continue to beat the crap out of them on the interior. Yes. Like I look, anything can happen. Either of this these two teams in the East could win this series. Either of them could win the finals. But right now, the it Golden State Warriors yeah. are are negative ten thousand to win the NBA title. <laughs> I'll t- I'll tell you what made me think about how good this Warriors team is is playing right now. Andrew Wiggins is unstoppable. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins unstoppable. Well, as we talk about Eric Spolstra and how good a coach he is. This same exact thing can be said of Steve Kerr because oh, Steve, no question. Steve Kerr takes over. But Kerr didn't start off that badly, though. I mean, like Kerr didn't start off with like, oh, he's just a fill-in or whatever. I he don't kind of did. He he took over that team in the first year that they were amazing, and they were like, Steph was unstoppable, Clay Thompson was unstoppable, yeah, I mean, they, Draymond was right, right, unstoppable. Right, right. But, but they were not. He replaced. He like they were not great the year before. And right. then it was like the expectation wasn't No, but it was like, a similar thing to Spolstra where he it was impossible to tell how good he was because his team oh, was I see, so I see good. What you're yeah. Saying. I see. What so, you're saying. Yeah, so, in that way, yeah. So he takes over that team. That team is is absurd and they absurd. they blitz everybody and they win all the titles and they lose one right. to Cleveland in a year where Draymond is suspended for a key game 6 and blah right. blah blah blah. blah. Right. And then like 2 years go by where you don't have Clay Thompson, where Steph also yep. gets injured, where Draymond yep. is injured for a long time, where they don't they they lose Durant their, leaves. Durant yeah. leaves, they lose their whole team. And then you you look up and they're again probably the best team in basketball. Yep. Now that they have those guys back, but also it should be noted 
Jordan Poole is playing at like a Hall of Fame caliber. Yes, Andrew yes. Wiggins, who the Minnesota just absolutely bailed on, on, is now is on. like is posterizing Luca <laughs> and in the just dunking all over everybody. And by the way, hitting threes in a way he never yes. used to. Yes. And Kavon Looney, who everyone was like, that guy's an afterthought. Kavon Looney's grabbing 20 rebounds a game. I mean, <laughs> they're like Steve Kerr and Eric yeah. Spolstra have pro- have gone from like, oh, that's just the guy who sits in that chair right. and lets his team right. do whatever it wants to like, right. oh, no, they these guys are incredible. These guys incredible. are like the, the very, very, very cream of the crop of, of NBA coaches in history. No question. The only difference I would say in, in the way they are now is how much – how great do you think it is playing on the same team as Steph Curry? Ugh. Like, how great must that be? I mean, I get a thrill from watching him on television. Yes, I know. I like it. I you know. imagine playing with him? I mean, the, he did he did that thing the other night where he shot it. He was dancing around, running around, lost his guy like four <laughs> times, jumped into the corner, shot a three, turned around and looked at his bench while the ball was in the air, and then the the ball goes through the, the hoop and he runs back like. That it is like a, I don't know, I don't know it, what it, I don't, I can't imagine what it must feel like to be able to do that. I, like it, I, it's, that guy, you know, there was there when they made the movie Gandhi. Okay, the original plan when they made, or at least at one point, the plan was for there not to even be an actor to play Gandhi, that they would use a like light, they would use right. like a like a burst of light instead of instead. Of, that's what Steph Curry is. Yeah. Like Steph Curry should just be a burst of light on the basketball court who every so often just gets the ball and then it comes flying out of the light and swishes. Yeah, like it should he should be represented on the court by like a hot air balloon full of puppies that's floating <laughs> over a rainbow or something. Like it's not he's not a human being. He's, he's just not a, a human being, he's just joy. He's, he's the just... concept of happiness <laughs> that can shoot forty seven percent from three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, that series is going to be interesting. The the uh, uh, Golden State series is over. I mean, yeah. It's 3-0. And it's, it's, it's 3 over and you already have Luca saying things like, yeah, no matter how this ends, you know, it's been a great year for us. It's like, wait till you lose no, before there, saying no, he that. No, he does, shouldn't have to wait till he lose. He's he already lost. And wait. also, there's that crazy stat where they're like 2-7 in games where he scores 40 points. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly the problem. If he has to, yeah. if nobody else on the team is scoring. Oh, it's doing, not his fault. No. I mean, he's, he's incredible. The guy is he's so incredible. good, man. He's so good. He's so good. All right, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. And uh, why don't you start? It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast it's one last one. I'm I'm in a uh, bad rut of one Uh-oh. last meaningless things um, where I accidentally make them meaningful, and I, I'm going to apologize again to the podcast oh, no. listeners for being meaningful at a time when I when my one I, it's a classic you didn't understand the assignment situation. <laughs> However, yeah, however, yes. at the age of 101, 
Roger Angel passed away. Oh yeah, uh, this past week. He should have been his own segment. He really should have been. So we'll make this his segment. This is a a special one-time only, one last meaningful thing. (laughs) So Roger Angel um, was, for most people I know who are baseball fans, the most important baseball writer. That's the only way I can sort of encapsulate it. He wrote a series of books and columns um, and and essays in the New Yorker and elsewhere. Uh, about the game, and I I said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again here. The thing about Roger Angel was when I was a kid, and I and I was falling deeply in love with the game, and I started reading his writing. I had a very specific feeling, which was there is a grown up who loves baseball as much as I do. Yeah, and yeah. that was an, a very very important thing to realize, which was this isn't for kids. This game. This is a thing I can love for my whole life. And yeah. and um, he the the season, the baseball season did not actually end until he encapsulated the baseball season in his yep. year end essay. That was the. It wasn't the last out of the World Series. It was Roger Angel writing about the season and expressing his thoughts about baseball in the New Yorker or elsewhere. And uh, I I don't think there's anyone, there are certainly pieces of writing that you might say were as important as the stuff he did, Hub Fans, Bid Kid Adieu by John Updike sure. about Ted Williams, um, or you know Only the Ball Was White about the Negro Leagues or, or some, other, some other writing about the Negro Leagues. There are, there are pieces of writing that are in the Pantheon or in the Hall of Fame. The actual number of people in that Hall of Fame is very small. And Roger Angel is probably not only a first ballot Hall of Famer in terms of baseball journalists, but is probably the Babe Ruth of that that Hall of Fame. Well, there's nobody close to him. And it's interesting you you bring up Hub fans a bit kid to do because that was in many ways his inspiration. He was friends with Updike. Uh, He was working as a fiction editor for the uh, New Yorker. I don't think he handled that particular story, which originally ran in the New Yorker uh, about Ted Williams' last game. But he had talked to Updike about it and said at at various times to Updike, I think that's what launched my baseball style. Yeah. You know, was was writing like that. And you could see that. Yeah. He was he was so he was so incredibly important because he put, in my view, because he put words to these ineffable thoughts mm-hmm. that you have about the game. And once you know the words, like it changes the the dynamic. It's sort of like, like I can I, I love this game, but but once somebody tells me why I love this game, it, it it takes it to a whole different level. There's something I mentioned. I wrote about this again. I wrote about this on on Joe Blogs. It's 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 free for everybody. Um so he wrote about box scores and how much box scores mean to us. And he wrote, uh, and I'm going to just use this quote, a box score is a precisely etched miniature of the sport itself. For baseball, in spite of its grassy spaciousness and apparent unpredictability, is the most intensely and satisfyingly mathematical of all our outdoor sports. Every player in every game is subjected to a cold and ceaseless accounting. No ball is thrown and no base is gained without an instant responding judgment. Ball or strike, hit or error, yay or nay, and an ensuing statistic. So that, first of all, you can't say it better, right? It's perfect. It's the perfect encapsulation of of the box score and what it means. And that is often quoted. I've seen Mm -hmm. that quoted many, many times. 
So I went back as I was writing this piece and read the the essay, the original essay that it was in, which is called Box Scores. And the very next sentence is this. The encompassing neatness permits the baseball fan, aided by experience and memory, to extract from a box score the same joy, the same hallucinatory reality that prickles the scalp of a musician when he glances at a page of his score of Don Giovanni and actually hears bassos and sopranos, woodwinds and violins. And I think that's even better than the original thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's it was endless with him. Every essay of his had... 50 things you could pull out as just the best, most beautifully written thing about baseball. Well, I'll, I'll read one too. And then you can, you can take us back to meaninglessness, but Don Van Natta uh, put this on Twitter. And I remember reading this essay it was one of the first things of his, I read. Um, so he started writing about baseball in 62, which is the first Mets season when they were That's the right. worst, the, the absolute worst of the worst. And um, he wrote this about the Mets in 1962. Suddenly, the Mets fans made sense to me. What we were witnessing was precisely the opposite of the kind of rooting that goes on across the river. This was the losing cheer, the gallant yell for a good try, antimatter to the sounds of Yankee Stadium. This was a new recognition that perfection is admirable, but a trifle inhuman, and that a stumbling kind of semi-success can be much more warming. Most of all, perhaps, those exultant yells for the Mets were also yells for ourselves and came from a wry, half-understood recognition that there is more Met than Yankee in every one of us. I knew for whom that foghorn blew, it blew for me. And I remember That's... thinking like, anyone who writes anti-Yankee propaganda like that <laughs> is okay in my book. <laughs> so great, so great. 101, he lived an unbelievable life. And uh, uh, I never actually got to talk to him, but I followed him around when I was a kid, uh, starting out in the business, uh, and just tried to, tried to just, I was too nervous to ever talk to him, but I, but I followed him around just to hope that maybe a little bit of what he was would rub off and, and, uh, incredible, incredible life. And, uh, Way too meaningful for one last meaningless thing. Yeah, it's, I apologize. I, I promise like next owe... next week I will get back to pure meaninglessness. <laughs> yeah, but... no, no. It's like you owe the listeners uh, an extra uh, portion of meaninglessness. <laughs> okay, I next think. next time we do this, I'm going to have two meaningless things <laughs> two to, meaningless to make things. up for this. <laughs> All right, my one last meaningless thing is meaningless. We were going through an old box of, <clears throat> well, several boxes of junk and, and stuff we found. And, you know, I found a an old video uh, thing, like a flip uh, video thing and, and some other electronics. And in there, I found a little mini iPod. So it was one of those that was like a little rectangle, had like a little screen. It wasn't, it wasn't the super duper tiny one that would come along later. It was, um, it was, you know, roughly, I don't know, the size of a, chewing gum, maybe two chewing gum, uh, sticks next to each other. Sure. And, and I'm like, Oh man, look at this thing. And I powered it up and thought, oh, I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to listen to this. You know, I had like 800 songs on there, which at the time, this was probably five, six, seven years ago, whenever it came out, um, was a miracle. Even then it was like a miracle that you could have that many songs on a little, you know, a little iPod. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started listening to it, and you know what? It has become 
my listening music. Really? Device. Yeah. So I, I, and I can't fully explain why. This is meaningless. But I think it's because it doesn't do anything else. <laughs> I think it's because there's no internet on it. Mm -hmm. Nobody can call me while I'm on it. Nobody can text me or email me while I'm on it. I'm just listening to music. Everything else is completely shut off. It doesn't have the capacity for any other thing other than allowing me to listen to music. And for whatever reason, that has really opened, uh, uh, it's opened the door for me. I have not spent a lot of time just listening to music like I do in my car or whatever, but just sitting down and just saying, okay, I'm going <clears> to <throat> take an hour away and just listen to music and relax. I have not done that in forever, and now I do it because of my little iPod. Yeah, I get it, man. There's, there's a way in which the advancements in technology make the actual act of interacting with things like music more annoying and impossible. Yeah. Like, I go into my phone, and I go to music, and then it's like, do I want to listen to Apple Music, a radio station, a thing, <laughs> right. a playlist, a thing? Do I want to <laughs> shuffle albums or songs or this or that or whatever? And, yeah. it, like, the, the, it's in the rush to to accumulate and make everything convenient and keep everything in one place and have everything on your phone, your music and your podcasts and your directions, your GPS, everything else, there is a way that there's a, now a, a barrier or a buffer between you and the thing you just want to yeah. do in that moment. And I, I, the other day, I just turned on the radio because I was like, I can't take it anymore. I turned on the wow. radio and I heard like a Jethro Tull song that I haven't heard in like 45 <laughs> years. And I was like, ah, I like this song. And I just happily said, and then like the next song wasn't a song I would ever have picked to play. But I was like, no, I'll just listen to this too. And, and there is a, like... There's, it's not that choice is bad or that I, I'm anti-technology, but there, but there are times that I just get frustrated at how hard it is to just access the thing that I want to access, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is shocking. 833 songs at the time that, that I loaded them onto the iPod, which I'm sure I loaded on individually through CDs, I'm Over sure. the course of 70 hours. Over the course of 70 <laughs> hours, exactly. That's felt like so much. Now, that's not that many songs i mean like if i want to listen to all right what am i going to listen to i mean i've got like 50 artists on there probably no more than that yeah. you know and it's like oh this is it like oh you want to listen to this song or this song but it's not there is like some element of of too much choice yep. when it comes to music that so all i'm saying is Go through your old junk and find yourself a little iPod. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and you heard that it, it just so happened that uh, they they uh, they're no longer making the iPod. Yeah, like they, they just made they that just announcement last week. It. Yeah. Yep, yep. Boo. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, I guess probably not boo because new iPods now are connected to the internet. It wouldn't be the same thing anyway. Yeah. There you go. That was meaningless. I feel like yeah, I made pretty up for, meaningless. Your, uh, it, for your faux pas. It was it was like gesturing at meaning. There's something about like nostalgia mixed in there and a little bit of like. So wait a minute. Know. So you're saying that next week we both owe the uh, the listeners like true utter meaningless. I'm saying that I owe listeners two meaningless things. You maybe you, you owe one and a half. I would say. <laughs> All right. Next week is full meaninglessness. All right. That's good. All right. Well, there we go. We did it. Another podcast. Best one yet, I would say. There, it's it clearly was. It's it's the one we call Josh Donaldson a jerk in the most. That's I true. Would say. That's true. Which automatically <laughs> makes it the best one yet. <laughs> so, so as always, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.